I'm Sebastian, uh, born and raised in Brussels, speaking French usually. Maybe you heard that already, with a slight touch of French accent I have. And I will be joined during this session with, uh, uh, by Jonathan. Yeah, welcome also from my side. My name is Jonathan. Uh, I manage some of our IDE-related teams like Cloud9. Um, and we'll later give you a nice demo about uh, an interesting capability we launched to help you debug applications. It's a great demo of uh, a new feature that we just released uh, last week. So um, I'm, I'm working in the software industry since the last 25 years, and I saw different things when I was working as consulting, uh, as consultant. Uh, I work with, with banks in, in Europe, small countries in Europe with a lot of banks. Um, I saw big public institutions where the development team was not talking to the operation team. Two different teams reporting to different managers, even sitting in different buildings, never talking to each other. And sometimes as a consultant, I say, hey guys, you should talk to together. And I, I organize a meeting, they start to talk to each other, and they start to understand each other's problems. And after the meeting, they, they thank me, saying, hey, thank you, finally we, we met these guys and we understand why it's important to do that for the deployment, or we understand the small ch ch change, the small things we can change in our code to make operation uh, easier. I also work as a consultant for a bank, and they were deploying into production twice per year, every six months. And of course, it was a big bank weekend where everybody has to come back and work for the, entire, for, for the entire weekend. A lot of change going into production in one shot. And as a developer, if I miss that release window, it means my code will be delayed to production by six months. So talk about agility in this type of, of, of environment. And today, organization wants to be more agile. They want to be more productive. And that's why they are merging development and operation create what we call DevOps, and that's what we are going to talk about for, for the next hour. So DevOps is not a product. I'm not going to sell you a product or a service. DevOps is really a, a culture here. And in this talk, we are going to show you how you can grow your team from one person team, you and your laptop, maybe deploying manually to the cloud, to a team of hundreds of developers that are deploying thousands of times per day uh, to the cloud. So when you start a new project, it's day one. At Amazon, it's always day one. You heard that already. And on day one, typically, you're, you're, you're on your laptop, and you're writing code, and you're prototyping your ID, and uh, it, it, it starts to work. So at some point, you want to deploy your application to a production environment. And you heard about public cloud. You heard about AWS. And you choose to deploy on AWS. And deploying to the public cloud gives you a couple of advantage. One of them is the agility. You are confident that if you need more machine to make a test, to experiment with a new IT, for example, you will get that extra capacity very easily. It will not be necessary to call your favorite uh, hardware vendor and wait for a few weeks to receive additional hardware, put the hardware into racks, put the network, the cables, install the operating system, install the patch, the monitoring tools, the security package, whatever, and then finally get your server. No, in, in public cloud, you can just open the AWS console, start an EC2 instance, or start 100 EC2 instance, and start to experiment uh, directly. It will also give you the elasticity that you might require if your project is ever successful. The elasticity is the ability to give you more compute capacity, more storage, more memory, depending on the workload of your application. So you can start very small, like one or two server, and then grow as your business is growing, as your application is growing, grow your infrastructure automatically. 
You are also confident that the cloud will allow you to go global in minutes if your project is successful and you start to have customers in Europe, in Asia. You can redeploy your application over there. We have a global CDN with more than 200 points of presence that uh, can cache your uh, static and content or, and your media file close to your customer to reduce the latency between your customer and your application. So you can go global very easily. And the best of all of using public cloud, of course, it's that you only pay for the services that you are using. If you are not using anything, you, we, we are not going to charge you. You are not going to be built. Uh, if you have only 10 kilobytes of file on Amazon S3, you will pay almost nothing. But if you have terabytes, you will pay for the value that you get from the services. So you choose to deploy your infrastructure um, to the cloud. And you make your research. And you found the reference architecture on our website, aws.amazon.com slash architecture. So your first architecture will be probably something like that. Uh, single region to availability zone. Availability zone, it's a group of data centers that are separate to each other in terms of risk. So they cannot be affected by the same risk at the same time. Uh, a load balancer to receive the request to your application, your application being deployed on Amazon EC2 instances, virtual machines, with an auto-scaling group that will scale your fleet automatically based on the metrics that you choose, and a master-slave database uh, in, in the two different availability zones. So in case something might happen to one availability zone, the database will automatically uh, fail over to the replica uh, database. So that's a reference architecture that's the way most applications are starting inside uh, the cloud. And during that first phase, you will probably build that infrastructure in the AWS console. You are going to use what we call infrastructure as click, IAC, uh, clicking in the console to create your VPC, to create your network, to create your uh, instance, uh, to configure DNS, to configure security groups, and, and everything. And infrastructure as click, um, has a couple of advantage. Actually, it's very easy to, to discover the different service, to experiment with the different options. Um, but it's very difficult to replicate. What if after a few weeks or a few months you need to create the same infrastructure because someone is asking you for a test environment, for example? Or what if um, you need to replicate your infrastructure in another region because you start to have customer in another region? That's very difficult uh, because you don't have a, a recipe to recreate the exact same uh, infrastructure. But let's face it, almost everybody starts to create infrastructure in the console uh, at first. During that first phase of your project, you'll choose also your development tool. Um, we do support your favorite um, um, IDE. We have a plugin for this IDE, the JetBrains IDE, so PyCharm for Pythons, IntelliJ, IntelliJ sorry, for Java, Visual Studio Code, and Visual Studio for .NET, Node, and other programming language. We have plugins that helps you to discover resources you have on your AWS account and to deploy code to your account as well. Uh, very recently, this week, last week, last, this, week. last week, we also released a plugin for WebStorm and Rider um, from the uh, JetBrain uh, family. Using this plugin, you can develop locally, for example, a Lambda function, for example. Here I am in, um, in, uh, in uh, Java. 
no, in Python, <laughs> and I can debug my code directly from, uh, from PyCharm. I can run my Lambda function locally from my laptop in a Docker container that emulates Lambda, and I can uh, deploy my function, uh, my Lambda function to the cloud. So you can choose your IDE, you can install the AWS uh, plugin, and start to interact with AWS services, AWS resource directly from your development environment. Another option for your IDE is to use Cloud9. Cloud9 is an IDE, just like the one you're using on your laptop, but that one is running in the cloud. It's running inside an Amazon EC2 uh, instance. So each developer can have its own IDE. You can collaborate uh, as well. And one of the good things of using uh, an IDE in the cloud is that you can create separate environments for separate projects. Um, these days, many developers are full-stack developers. They are working in JavaScript, Node.js in the morning, Python in the afternoon. And uh, if you provide different IDE, different Cloud9 instances uh, for different projects, you can be sure that the artifacts from, from one or the dependency from one project will not pollute or, or break the environment for your uh, other projects. It's like having pip onf applied to your entire machine and not just to a, a specific uh, directory. So you learn about Cloud9 and you decide uh, to use uh, Cloud9. And your team is getting bigger. Your deployment server, your production infrastructure got some visibility. So your management team allocate more developer resources to your team. The fact that you are using Cloud9s help to uh, bootstrap or to, to welcome new developers in the team very easily because you can just point them to, to a Cloud9 instance and they can start to work very quickly on, on your project. Problem, you are not alone. As soon as you are two developers, um, you need a way to share the source code between uh, the different developers of, of your team. So you start to investigate different options to get a code repository. And of course, you can go to one of the managed services available on the internet, uh, such as GitHub or Bitbucket. They are all great. They also all come with, with some limits that are inherent to these services, like the, the number of repository you can have, or maybe the maximum file size you can have. So you have another option. It's to start your Amazon EC2 instance and to install Git uh, by yourself. Great. But how are you going to scale that if you have thousands of developers, if you have gigabytes of, of repositories. You will be responsible for patching this machine, for patching Git itself. You will be responsible for scaling uh, this. You will be responsible for uh, the backup. You don't want to lose your source code, so having a, a strong backup strategy for your EBS volume will be uh, super important. And you discover another option is to use a fully managed service in the cloud to store your code. Fully managed means uh, that you don't have to manage EC2 instance. We do that for you. This is what we call serverless. Serverless means you don't manage the server. We manage the server for you. So we do the backup for you. We store uh, your code on Amazon S3. It's, the code is encrypted at rest. You can manage the keys using AWS uh, KMS. AWS commit is a fully manageable, scalable uh, Git repository in the cloud. And it's really Git, so you can continue to use your client-side uh, Git command line or any tools you have that interacts with Git. Uh, code commit is fully compatible uh, with Git. Just like any Git repository, you need to create an SSH key to get started. So you, uh, in Cloud9, for example, you type SSH keygen to generate the key. You upload the key to the code commit console. You configure your client-side SSH in the .ssh directory, and then you're ready. It's the old standard Git that me, my dad, and my 
grandfather before me uh, use and, and love with git add, git commit, git push, git pull, and the joy of merging a code. Talking about merging, you need to act choose a branching strategy as well. Um, how many branches are you going to have in your repository? Um, if you look at the industry right now, there are mostly two different um, approach to, to, to branches. One is um, called a feature branch. So when you start to create a new feature on your release, you create a branch for that, and all the developer works on, the, on that branch. And when the feature is finished, where the release is done, you merge back to, to the trunk. That's good if you have point-in-time release, uh, software that you need to release with a specific version number. Um, at Amazon, for example, we are using that for um, firmware, for um, Echo device, or for Kindle tablets, Kindle uh, reader or, or tablets, for example. When you have a, a mobile application, a website, something which is um, um, updated continuously, uh, the other strategy is to use trunk-based development. Trunk-based development is that you try to keep the trunk as close as, as the production as possible. So as a developer, I will create a branch when I start to work on something, a new feature or a bug fix, for example. I will do my change on my own branch, and I'll try to keep that branch as short-lived as possible. Uh, because long-lived branch are more difficult to merge back, so two, three days maximum, and after that I branch, I merge my code back as a pull request. And we can do a lot of automation for pull requests. I will talk about that a bit, a bit later. So feature branch is probably the way to go if you have a, a mobile application or a web application. So, you have a code repository, you have a couple of, of uh, uh, development, uh, um, developer working uh, on, on your environment, and there is someone in your team that uh, every couple of days take all the change from, from code commit, uh, creates its own Cloud9 instance, merge all the change, compile, run the test, zip, package everything, and deploy to your uh, production environment. And that's a manual task, it's boring, Developers don't like to do that. Uh, as a build master, in, in one of my previous team, nobody wants to be a build master, so we create a rule. The guy that breaks, or the guy or the woman that breaks the, the, the build becomes the new build master until someone will break the build again and he's, he or she is becoming the, the new build master. And that was a, a good competition between developers to be sure that whenever we commit code, to the trunk, the code will not break uh, the build. But there is a better way to do that. No, you can automate your builds as well. So you, you can start to think about continuous integration. And I'm sure you, you saw this type of diagram already, continuous integration. The idea is to automatically build uh, your code whenever there is a change in your source code repository. So Git allows to have different types of hooks, trigger scripts that can start to build, and you can have a, a server where your uh, package will be compiled, will be built. When I say built, it's compiled if it is Java or TypeScript. Maybe it's just a matter of zipping stuff if it is an OGS or a Python application that doesn't really require to be compiled. But it's also a good place to run a set of tests to ensure that the new code will not break anything. So it's the right place to make your integration test, to make um, unit tests, maybe to make some, some tests on the code quality itself, uh, like the level of, of documentation, the linting your code for example. And just like you did for your source code repository, you are looking at the different options that you have here. 
And one of the options is to have your Amazon EC2 instance that you need to manage yourself, to patch yourself, to patch your operating system, and install your favorite continuous integration server there. That continuous integration server probably has 1,000 different plugins that you need to download, configure, uh, merge configs between the, these plugins. So it's a lot of work. Uh, probably almost a full-time job in a large team just to, to manage that build environment. How are you going to scale that if you have thousands of builds per, per, per day? There must be a better option. So in the cloud, better option would be to use AWS code build. And exactly like code commit is a fully managed environment for code, code build it's a fully managed environment to run your build. So a build environment, it's a Docker container, and you give us a script with a set of commands that we will execute inside the Docker container to compile your code, to package your code, and to run your uh, unit testing or your integration testing. Code build will scale automatically, so you can have one build per day or 1,000 builds per day. We will scale that automatically, and you only pay for the time of the build, for the runtime of, of the build. So you decide to automate your build with code build. You need to give us a script, and the script it's in a file called buildspec.yaml. It's a YAML file. It has multiple phases, like a pre-build, a build, a post-build, and uh, each of these phases is just a sequence of operation that, that you give us. Uh, here it's a, a project to build a Docker image, and you see the, 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 the pre-built is just to connect to the Docker repository and to prepare some environment variable. The build itself, it's Docker build. Uh, and the post-build is to push my image to the Docker repository, maybe apply some other tagging and prepare deployment files, for example. So that's a very simple build uh, spec file. You need to give us that in the root of your project, and CodeBuild will execute these steps automatically uh, for you. You still have more developers joining your team. Um, you have one development server right now, uh, one production environment, and it doesn't scale. All your developer wants to have their own development environment so they can test their ID, they can break things without impacting their colleagues. So basically, you want to go from that architecture to this architecture. But of course, you don't want your developer to create by themselves their own environment in the console because what is the chance? What are the chances that two developers are going to create the exact same environment? If you're just using the console, it, it will not scale. This environment will be different. So you will end up with development, test, and production environment that will be different. There will be different operating system version, package, dependencies version. Something will not be aligned. So what you are going to create if you use the, the console, it's a Snowflake server or a set of Snowflake server. You know Snowflakes, from distance, they all look the same. But if you look closely at the Snowflake, they are all different. And that's exactly what you don't want for your IT infrastructure. You want all the server to be uh, the same. So, what are your options to have all your server the same? It's to automate, of course. It's to automate the creation of your server, of your production environment, your development environment inside the cloud. And you have a couple of options to, to, to do that automation. Uh, you can use a script. I'm going to use a Python and the Boto3 SDK, the Python SDK, to create a 
Python script, that's great. Uh, and you can build an environment like that. But can you delete the environment with the same script? No, you will need to write another script to delete the environment because the, the order of things matter. You need to create first the network, then the database, then the application server, and, and so on. Uh, what if you want to change something? You have your environment there, and you just want to apply a, a, a different settings, for example, for a security group, you cannot just change your script and re-execute the script because it will create another environment. It will not apply just the change. So for that, we propose to solve that problem with AWS CloudFormation. And our customers are using AWS CloudFormation since many years to describe their infrastructure as a text file. You can describe your data center in a JSON or in a YAML file. And you give that YAML file to CloudFormation, it will, quote, quote, execute that YAML file in the cloud for you. It can apply a delta between a current environment and just a change, a one-line change in your YAML file. It can also delete your environment if you need to tear down your environment. For example, your development environment should be deleted at night because nobody's working uh, with that and you don't want to pay for resource that you are not going to, to use. CloudFormation, great. Hundreds of thousands of customers are using uh, CloudFormation. But what we heard from these customers is that sometimes it's a bit verbose. You need a lot of lines of code to create basic infrastructure, like 200 lines of code to create a network. And um, it's text-based, so you cannot easily reuse or create higher-level constructs, uh, like best practice that you want to apply to your environment. You know, sharing code through copy-paste is not the best development practice. That's why we created the Cloud Development Kit. AWS last year launched the Cloud Development Kit. It's GA since a few months now. And the idea with the Cloud Development Kit is that um, you can use familiar programming language, such as TypeScript, JavaScript, C Sharp, Java, Python, to describe your infrastructure. Because it's a real programming language, TypeScript, JavaScript, you can create higher level construct objects that encapsulate some default behavior that you want all your development to share, like the best practice for your architecture, for example. So a construct is just a class, an object that you define that encapsulates some, some uh, behavior. And what does the CDK? It's actually generating cloud formation. So we are not reinventing the wheel. The CDK compiles to a, a YAML file for cloud formation, and then you can use the CDK command line to execute that cloud formation in the cloud for you. That's an example of a CDK uh, script in uh, TypeScript, this one. Creating a VPC, it's two lines of code. And can be one line of code if you take all the default, for example. Here I limit my, my VPC to two availability zones instead of three. So two lines of code that will generate 200 lines of YAML for cloud formation. You can define dependencies like an, an HTML static website. You can create user data. User data is a small shell script that you give to your Amazon EC2 instance. And when it boots the first time, it will execute that script to install some package or install your application. You can create an auto-scaling group. Remember the service that allows to scale in and out your, your fleet of applications, specifying the instance type, the operating system, the size of your uh, auto-scaling group, uh, the permissions, for example, or the user data script. And when everything compiles, you just type CDK deploy, and it will uh, deploy that infrastructure for you in the cloud. And remember, it's a programming language. So working inside your IDE, Cloud9, or uh, other IDE, you can have syntax highlighting. You can have code completion. You can have refactoring, uh, because 
it's, it's plain TypeScript, JavaScript, or uh, uh, Java Python, for example. So now you are automating the creation of your environment. Um, you have your source code in code commits, you have automatic build in code build, and you have CDK script to generate your development environment for each developer, your different test environment, and your uh, production environment. What about the deployment itself? Uh, after code build finish and you have the new version of your, of your application, which is package, how do you bring that package to to your different test environment and to your production environment. So code deploy is a fully managed service that helps you to deploy code uh, wherever you want to deploy your code. Code deploy can work with Amazon EC2 instances, obviously, but it can also deploy code to on-premises. If you install a small agent on your on-premises machine, code deploy can orchestrate a deployment between the cloud and on-premises. It can deploy to Docker container running in an ECS cluster, for example, or EKS cluster, and it can also deploy a Lambda function. And if you have multiple deployments like that, test, prod, you need an orchestrator, or you need a workflow. You need someone that controls the different steps, uh, that decide when to go from one step to the other. Maybe you might have manual steps as well, like manual approval before going to production. And that's the role of code pipeline. Code pipeline, it's a fully managed workflow that orchestrates your deployment pipeline inside um, the, the cloud. So we have the whole family there, code commit, code build, code deploy, and a code pipeline. And code deploy can do some, some interesting, uh, or can apply some, some interesting deployment strategy. Um, but before talking about deployment strategy, remember that with code pipeline and code deploy, your, your pipeline can be as simple as you want, source, build, deploy. That's the example I will show you in a demo in a minute. But it can be also extremely complex depending on the need of your organization. It can go across multiple AWS accounts. You can trigger a pipeline programmatically with a Lambda function. Um, so you, this is an example taken from, from the AWS website. If you search for AWS uh, track 10 example, you will see that extremely complex pipeline across multiple, multiple accounts. What about um, creating this pipeline automatically as well? You don't want to go in the console and for each environment create a pipeline and configure code deploy. You can do that with the CDK as well. So with the CDK you can create a source action, like taking my source on, on GitHub in this example. You can define a build uh, project with the type of Linux image for, for the build, uh, with uh, different policies and where is the source code, where is the destination of the build. You can define a deployment action. In that case, I'm deploying my Docker container to ECS. And once you have these three elements, uh, source, build and deploy, you can pipe them together in a pipeline with three stage, get source, build Docker image, deploy to ECS. So your deployment pipeline, your development infrastructure to bring code to production can also be created automatically using uh, the, the CDK. Um, going back to code deploy, Typically, code deploy will deploy uh, your code with a policy that we call rolling upgrade, and that's probably what you're doing today in your data center as well. Uh, when you do rolling upgrade, you take one machine at a time outside of the load balancer, you update the version of your application on that machine, and you bring that machine back into the load balancer game. Quite easy, quite efficient, but there is 
um, a couple of issues with, with that type of, of potential issue with that type of deployment. And one of them is what if you need to roll back? What if in the middle of the deployment, you realize that something is not working as expected and you need to roll back and revert back to the previous version. It's very difficult to do if you do rolling upgrade. In the cloud, you have another option, which is called blue-green deployment. With blue-green deployment, the idea is to create another infrastructure next to your production infrastructure and progressively shift the traffic to the new version of your infrastructure. So you're not only deploying a new version of your application, you're recreating your entire production infrastructure for each single deployment. That's something you cannot do on premises, right? You cannot call your favorite hardware vendor to say, hey, I need to buy another data center for, to, to, to deploy the next version of, of my application. So with blue-green, you have production in blue, a code deploy will automatically create another uh, production environment for you. Let's call it a green environment. It will create the infrastructure. So in this example, it's a couple of Docker containers. It will configure the load balancer to load balance request to the green environment. It will uh, create a testing endpoint and send some traffic test uh, to that uh, endpoint. If the test is okay, then it will start to progressively move the traffic from the blue environment to the green environment. And if everything goes well, eventually all the traffic will end up in, on the green environment. And while you are doing that, you need to create alarms. You need to monitor your uh, green environment because if anything goes wrong, then code deploy will stop the deployment. And stopping the deployment is very easy. It's just reconfiguring the load balancer to send 100% of the traffic to the blue environment. So it's very uh, uh, quick. It's a quick operation. So knowing your baseline, knowing your alarms is super important uh, because that's why, uh, that's what um, a code deploy will choose to um, uh, abort your, your, your deployment. So it's up to you to monitor uh, technical metrics or business metrics. One of the business metrics we do monitor at Amazon, it's the number of purchases per second on the retail website. If that metric drops during a deployment, it's not because customers do not want to buy from Amazon.com anymore. It's because something prevents them to buy from Amazon.com. So we don't try to fix anything. We first switch back the traffic to the old version of, of, of the deployment, and then we start to find the root cause and to fix uh, that. So let's see that. I have a 10-minute demo here where uh, I'm starting from a GitHub uh, application. It's a Python Flask application that talks to DynamoDB to accept uh, sign-up. That application is deployed into a cluster. It's a Docker cluster, an ECS cluster. And I have a pipeline. The pipeline that I use, uh, that I show you on the slide uh, from the CDK, that's the CDK code that created that pipeline with source, build, and uh, deploy. Um, the application is a really very simple HTML, Python. It's running inside a, a, a Docker container. Uh, you can go to my GitHub and you will find the, the, the sample application uh, there. Let me show you the application when it's deployed, saying, hey, the next big thing is coming in a city. Uh, and what I'm going to do is to make a change. Okay, the, the user can, can, can register, of course, and, and, and these data are saved into DynamoDB. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to make a change in the application, and I will make a git push to show you the pipeline in action. So I have the HTML uh, file here. 
with uh, the text that you saw on the screen. I have the Python code, just to show you that it's really a regular, very simple application. It has two roads, a road for index and a road for the, the sign up. Uh, I have a Docker file where I install Nginx, I install the dependencies, mostly Flask, Python, a couple of configuration uh, files for, for Nginx so that it can route the traffic to my Python application. And then I just uh, start the uh, web server inside the, the container. And I have a build spec file that CodeBuild will use to build that container. It's the exact same file as the one I show you on the, on the slide before. So logging to my ECR, the Docker repository, preparing uh, environment variable, building my Docker container, tagging my Docker container, uh, pushing my Docker container to the repository, and then preparing a couple of files that code deploy will use to actually deploy that container inside the ECS uh, cluster. And the output of the build is really three files. It's the definition of my Docker uh, container. It will help uh, code, code deploy to, to know what to deploy and how to deploy that. So let's make the change. Uh, let's, um, oh, before that, yes. Let's go to the build. Um, so I have the build project. Um, I have the deploy phase. And inside the deploy phase, uh, this is where I configure code deploy to make the blue-green deployment. So code deploy has that concept of application, and that application is configured in such a way that it will trigger a blue-green uh, deployment. So in the configuration of code deploy, you need to tell us where to deploy, so which cluster. Here I have my uh, ECS cluster, the name of my cluster, and the name of the service inside the cluster. And blue-green deployment, it's heavily dependent of load balancer, as I explained before. So you need to give us the name of the balancer, um, the testing endpoint, and the target groups for the blue and for the green uh, environment. You also choose how long do you want to keep the test traffic on the testing endpoint. It's a demo, so five minutes. And once the green deployment will receive production traffic, how long do you want to keep the blue environment? It might be days or weeks, for example, to be able to revert back just in case you, you notice something is going wrong on your, on your deployment. And the pipeline, I show you the pipeline already. It's very simple, source, um, build, and then deploy. So let's change the code. Uh, I'm going to change the name of the city and replace Paris with um, Las Vegas. Uh, I'm going to commit that change in GitHub using the graphical user interface from Visual Studio. So that's a git add, a git commit with a commit message, like I learned from my parents to always put a commit message, and you should do so. And then uh, git push. So th this is the equivalent of git add, git commit, git push on the, on the command line. Um, I can go back to GitHub and to show you that uh, the, the change just arrived there. If I reload the page, you can see that the change has been made 14 seconds ago. So let's go back to the pipeline and see the, the pipeline in progress. The, the source phase, it's already done <laughs> just now, you see, it has been, because it's super quick. It's just downloading from GitHub, preparing a zip, putting that zip on, on Amazon S3, and then moving to the next phase. Next phase is the build. So code build is creating a Docker container. It's my build environment. It will take my build spec.yaml file to execute all the commands there. And that build takes roughly two minutes 
uh, based on my previous uh, experience, it's the time to create the container and then to execute my build spec file. So during these two minutes, let's go back to the, the load balancer. I didn't show you the load balancer. I have one load balancer with two target groups, blue and green. Currently, blue is attached to the load balancer. Green is not attached. And if we go to the targets, you will see that the blue one has uh, the, the old version, the two containers already running, and the green one has no container yet. A code deploy will register the new container to the green uh, target group automatically. Let's go back to uh, code build. You can follow all the steps of the build in the code build console. This is invaluable when you're debugging because when you're going to create your first build spec.yaml, it will not work at the first time. It took me a couple of times. And being able to see the exact error message and what line um, is, is failing helps you to, uh, to, to debug. So I know it's uh, pip off that uh, start to install the dependencies and the virtual environment uh, for uh, Python. One of the good things also with code build is that you can see the build history. Um, so you can also uh, stop a build uh, if, if it is blocked or taking uh, uh, too, too much time. So we are at 1 minute and 52 seconds, so it will be uh, almost finished. Let's go back to the, the pipeline. And the pipeline will uh, detect that the build is succeeded. When the build succeeds, it will turn green automatically or red if there is an error. If there is an error, it will stop there. But here it just turned green, and now we are entering into the blue-green deployment phase with a code deploy. And you can also follow the steps from code deploy. So you can go to the code deploy console, and from there, see the different steps. The first step is to create the infrastructure. So right now, Code Deploy is creating two new containers and uh, registering these two containers to the green target group of my uh, load balancer. So it takes also roughly a minute to start the two containers. We can go to the ECS uh, console to see the number of tasks. And you see I have two running tasks. That's my blue environment and two tasks that are currently being provisioned. You can see that the version number of the task definition has been incremented by one. So it's not the same version of the application on these uh, two tasks. Um, if we look at the load balancer, you will see that uh, code deploy will register the container to the green target group. And we have already one Docker container which is registered. And the second one will be registered in just uh, a minute. And now we have the second one. So now that we have the green environment ready, code deploy will start to send testing traffic to that uh, environment. So testing traffic is on a different listener. So it's a different endpoint, a different address. And you can run script or give that address to some of your customer or QA people to test that. So here, if I change my URL to colon 8080, you will see that it's the new version of the application that has been deployed there. In production, I still have the old version on the port 80. So the test will stay there as long as you define. I define it for five minutes. Um, of course, I don't want to wait five minutes um, in front of you here. So at any time, you can interrupt the test. It can also be interrupted if there is an alarm. But here, I click reroute traffic to reroute 100% of the traffic to my green environment. So right now, code deploys change the load balancer configuration and sends 100% of the traffic to the new uh, green environment. So 
going back to my browser, if I go back to the production environment, the one on 80, you can see that it's Las Vegas as well. So no, in production, I have the green environment. And the blue environment stay there uh, as long as you, as you need, as long as you configure it, uh, to be able to go back to the blue environment just in case. And here, I will stop it manually. And once again, if there is an alarm, uh, code deploy will, will send the traffic back to uh, the blue environment. And that's the end of the deployment phase, actually. Code pipeline will um, detect that the deployment phase is finished and will finish the pipeline. And code deploy uh, will terminate my old blue environment. So I'm reloading here in the ECS console, uh, checking the, the, the green uh, target group, the green target group as the new Docker container, and the blue target group as no more Docker container. So if I reload in ECS console, you can see that there is only two container left. The blue environment has been deleted by a code deploy automatically. Going back to the pipeline, you see that the deploy phase is finished and it succeeds and it's finished just now. So that's an example of a blue-green deployment using a full pipeline starting from a GitHub code deploy uh, code build, sorry, first, code deploy to deploy in blue-green, creating a new infrastructure uh, for you. Now you have your production environment running in the cloud. How do you debug production environment in the cloud? Jonathan. Thank you. Yeah, so I want to talk to you about kind of the next step, like if something goes wrong. We, we saw the, the happy path, right, like what if everything goes through and you can deploy your changes, but every now and then you will encounter bugs that you want to debug, right? Now, debugging... Um, got harder and harder over the last few years because applications are getting more complex and more distributed, right? If you look at the typical application, you have a lot of dependencies, and it's getting hard to replicate them on your local development machine. Um, there are some, some cool local development features um, that we offer, for example, with uh, a local Lambda that you can run um, or like a emulated DynamoDB version, right? But at some point, um, the complexity uh, gets so hard. The mockups are, of course, not perfect. They don't emulate the exact setup that you have in production in terms of security groups, access controls, network, and, and so forth. Um, and with this, that, that um, it becomes harder to reproduce it locally, um, we were trying to see how can we actually help you debug things in like a development stage or testing stage that is in the cloud. So last week, we actually announced a new capability for um, a bunch of the IntelliJ, uh, sorry, the JetBrains IDEs uh, so for IntelliJ, for uh, WebStorm, for PyCharm, and for Rider, we launched the capability for you to live debug uh, ECS and Fargate uh, tasks, right? So you can co connect your local IDE to a remote environment, your development stage, for example, and do the full step through debugging, set breakpoints, evaluate expressions, and so forth. So very powerful feature that allows you to um, debug faster, go faster through a development cycle, uh, reproduce errors, and figure out what's wrong, and then hopefully fix and um, uh, and then um, progress with your with your actual task that we we're working on. So I want to show you a demo about that. So what we have here is um, a simple Java application in IntelliJ, right? Pretty simple class file with a few print statements, and then here on the left, I'm connecting to my ECS cluster. Uh, enable debugging and then pick a role that should be used and um, now start the instrumentation process. This is something you have to do once uh, with your ECS cluster, something we also recommend you do not with a production environment, right, because we're now adding some additional instrumentation. We're 
uh, adding essentially a sidecar proxy to the, to the container um, so that we can pass the traffic through that, do the connection to the local IDE. This takes like one to two minutes. That's why we're speeding this up a little bit. Like I said, this is something you have to do once. Uh, and once this is complete, you can connect your local IDE to it and have a pretty much standard local debugging experience as you used to from IntelliJ, from Rider, from WebStorm, and, and PyCharm. So the instrumentation completed here. Uh, what we can do now is connect again to the ECS cluster. What you can see here is that now we have this nice debug symbol and we can start um, enabling debugging. Um, this is now pretty much what you would do locally, right? Like I define what is the class that I want to debug, uh, what's the, the, all the settings that I need for the, for the build stage, um, right? Like um, how do you want to run uh, Maven and all of that, th these things. Again, pretty simple, pretty comparable to what you would do locally, exactly the same experience. I'm configuring here two environments, so two, um, I want to have two debugging sessions um, in order to show you that you have independent, isolated um, environments here that you can uh, manipulate separately. So we do the same thing, we enable debugging. Um, now we would do the Maven uh, build run, which takes again a few seconds, right? And after we, we completed that, we will be able to go through, you can see here we have two breakpoints set that we will walk through um, the, the live remote ECS environment uh, that I don't have local on my, on my machine. So now uh, we have here the two debug sessions, debug session one, debug session two. And um, as you can see, we're now getting the same information as you would have in a typical debugging session about my uh, variables, right, like their state. I can manipulate them. I can uh, see what um, all the, the, the values are set uh, and so forth. And, and again, in two separate uh, executions, right? So we, we see the print statement for both of them that we have here in the first line. We stopped at the first breakpoint, and now we can introspect the settings. We can evaluate expressions. We can override values. So here, for one of the two sessions, we're setting uh, a value to 343 and uh, go step over the, the debugging step, right? And in the other exp um, uh, session, it's still set to the old value. So now if I complete this and go to the final print statement, you can see the output is different, right? So there, there are two separate isolated debug environments. I was able to do all the local evaluation that um, I, I'm used to from my local debugging experience. Uh, again, the, the goal is it's pretty much the same thing as you would do local debugging. Now the trick is we're actually connecting to remote ECS or Fargate uh, container so that I can have everything that I'm used to from my local experience with the remote cloud um, resources. Um, today we support the, um, the, those four IDEs that are listed out of from the uh, JetBrains family. Uh, we support ECS Fargate. Uh, what you could see us do in the future is look into supporting more IDEs, look into supporting additional compute targets. Uh, this is something that is just launched into beta last week, so we're eager to hear your feedback, eager to hear what should we add next um, support for, how can we improve uh, we're pretty excited about this capability because we think it allows you to um, have an easier development environment and dev development experience on, on AWS and on the cloud. So we're, we're very excited to hear your feedback for that. And with that, I would hand back to, um, to Sebastian. Thank you, Jonathan. That's quite impressive. Put a breakpoint in the cloud and actually execute steps by step a code running uh, in the cloud. Um, 
your development team is growing, you have automated your full pipeline, so now it's time to think a bit about uh, monitoring and, and operation, how to get the alarms, how to act when an alarm is, 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 uh, is triggered by your, by your environment. And uh, more and more what we are seeing at our customer side is that the, the development uh, teams, the, the operation teams, are using chat systems to, to communicate between them and switching context between your Slack application, for example, in your AWS console. Uh, it's not always as easy as you want. So using a, 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 a Slack channel or Shine channels allows the team to stay in touch uh, on the go or on the office. And that's what uh, we call chat ops, or what the industry is calling uh, chat ops uh, operation in, in a chat. Uh, we launched AWS Chatbot back in July. Uh, chatbot allows you to collect SNS message, such as uh, AWS CloudWatch alarms or billing alarms, and to deliver this message to your favorite uh, chat applications, such as Amazon Shine or uh, Slack. Last week, we improved AWS Chatbot, and we had the possibility to directly type an AWS command as a response uh, to a chat message. So you receive an alarm in Slack, and you want to learn a bit more about the root cause of that alarm, what generated that alarm, so you can type an AWS CLI command directly inside your chat and get the result and start your investigation uh, inside your uh, Slack uh, channel. Uh, let me show you how it works. I have a demo Slack channel. I have a Lambda function in Python, which takes a lot of time to execute, five seconds. And I have a, a CloudWatch uh, metric, a CloudWatch alarm on the throttle metric. So you know the throttle metric? It's um, the, the number of calls that will be throttled uh, uh, if, if there are too many calls in parallel. I have my chatbot configure to post message to the Slack uh, channel. I have an IAM role uh, attached to that. And here's my uh, 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 Slack channel. So let's generate some load on my function. So I'm calling it one, two, three, four, five times. You can see that the, the first call will return 200. That is OK. But the others are generating an error, too many request exceptions. So eventually, after one minute, um, the CloudWatch alarm will, will trigger. The metric is being catched by, by CloudWatch, and uh, the alarm is defined on one minute. Uh, so there will be a, a small delay before the alarm will, will raise. Um, I didn't mention that, of course, you cannot type any AWS command in the Slack channel. You associate an IAM permission, and so you can finally control what type of operations are available in the, in the Slack uh, channel. Here the metric appear in my CloudWatch console. So if I go back to CloudWatch alarms, we are going to see the alarm uh, switching to, uh, from insufficient data to uh, alarm. And as soon as the alarm will uh, trigger, the message will be posted to Slack. So now we have the alarm in CloudWatch because the, the data has been uh, uh, received. So if we switch back to Slack, uh, we see that I receive a message on, on Slack, and the message gives me the name of the alarm, the region, the account, uh, the specific threshold that was breached, and, and the metric. So from there, I can call the AWS CLI, AWS, Lambda, get function, the name of the function, function name, demo, to know a bit more about that function and why this function has been uh, throttled. And immediately I receive the answer, just like if I was typing the command on my uh, terminal and I see that the reserve concurrent uh, ex execution is one, and that's why my calls have been uh, throttled. 
And if I go back to the AWS console, I can see that indeed the reserve concurrency was, was one, so I can uh, solve that problem. So AWS Chatbot allows you to receive CloudWatch alarms into your uh, Slack channel or your Amazon Chime channels, and you can type comments directly to investigate the root cause of the issue. When I'm doing this talk, um, I have a frequently asked question is how Amazon, as a large company, is doing DevOps as well. We, we start our DevOps journey and our journey towards microservice in 2002, so uh, almost 20 years ago um, already. And the way we do it at Amazon is to to say if you build it, you run it. So if a developer or development team is building a service or a microservice, they are also in charge of running that service. So we don't have separate operation team and development team. It's a small team because small teams have less overhead in terms of communication. They are more nimble. So we have a, a large number of small teams that each develop and operate their own service. How small is small? It depends. But at Amazon, we say that uh, it's a two-pizza team, meaning that if you cannot feed your team with two pizza, American-sized pizza, then the team is too large, and you need to split the team into smaller, uh, smaller components. Um, we automate everything, including the creation of our pipelines. We put all the security, um, the test, the intelligence of the test and the security of the pipeline in the pipeline, so who can access the pipeline, the check on the code as well, to ensure that um, a mistake can be catched as, as soon as possible. Uh, every time someone commits code, there is a series of tests that are run to avoid a human error to arrive into, into a production. This is what we call to have belts and suspenders. Um, and of course, the infrastructure is run uh, as code as well. So let's wrap up with this uh, one hour, 50-minute uh, uh, session. What we build, we start with your laptop, a new single developer on your project, uh, typing code, and we progressively uh, build a system where teams of developers can be responsible of their services. They can create their own uh, deployment pipeline using code commit, code build, uh, code deploy, code pipeline. You automate the creation of this pipeline. You automate the creation of the development environment, the test environment, the production environment using the AWS Cloud Development Kit, CDK. And you choose code commit with a trunk-based uh, source control to share the source code across all your uh, development uh, team. The message to remember is think big. Uh, you do not need to start with something as complicated as on the previous uh, slide, but try to shoot for the moon. What would be the perfect deployment process for your product or for your team or for your customer? What is the perfect deployment process that will uh, maximize the value for, your, uh, for you, the number of deliveries for your customer, and minimize the friction, so the rollback, the number of time you need to uh, roll back. So try to shoot for the moon. It might take years to get there. Start somewhere, start small, and then iterate based on the customer feedback or your uh, developer uh, feedback. Think about um, the impact of technology on your team as well. 
I'm talking to AWS customer every week, and every week I hear the message saying, hey, it's much easier to hire people and to retain people when we are using DevOps philosophy, modern application, modern development tools. Uh, that's uh, one of the impact of choosing this type of, of uh, uh, technology as well. Uh, your teams, your tech team will have fun using this type of technology. Remember that money is not the only motivation for tech people. Having a great technology and fun environment, it's, a, it's often a factor of motivation for your uh, development team uh, as well. So it's okay to s start small, s start Choose something small and, and, and start there. And don't be afraid of automatic uh, deployment. Uh, remember my bank I talked about at the beginning of this talk, they were deploying twice per year into production. When you're shipping a lot of change into production, of course it's a, it might be a traumatic experience because you don't control all the things that you are going to change at once. But if you deploy small unit of change one by one, it's very easy to roll back if, if there is some, a breaking change and, and come back and undo your, your deployment. So don't fall into the do not deploy on Friday fallacy. I guess many of you heard already or maybe applied this type of, of uh, policy inside companies saying, no, I don't want to deploy on Friday because I don't want to be called back during the weekend. A deployment into production, it's a non-event in your IT organization. It's normal day-to-day -day life. It's day-to-day -day business. Remember also that if you really want to innovate and to provide added value for your customer, you must ship your code as quickly as you can from the developer machine to production, because the only place where code is happy is in production. Code is not meant to be and to stay in the GitHub repository. It's a liability for you. You invest time and money to write that code, to test that code. And it doesn't bring you any added value. It doesn't bring any added value to your customer to stay in a Git repository. So the only place where code should be is in production. It's up to you to put in place systems to reduce the time from code to production. But to do that in a safe environment where it's actually safe to deploy, and to, to minimize any type of friction, to minimize the type of, of error. Don't fall into uh, the deployment trauma. So try to make the right thing easy and automatic and make the wrong thing hard. The right thing is to ship code to production. The wrong thing is to ship a bug to uh, production. Thank you very much. I will take uh, your feedback on, on my Twitter, Sepsto. I'm sure, Jonathan, you will do uh, the same. Happy to continue the conversation after, after uh, this talk. And don't forget to uh, complete uh, the survey in the mobile app. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>